The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's Monday. You know what that means. Welcome back to another episode of Monday Football Monday. And before we get started, I'd like to remind you guys this show is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbooks. I am the host today again. They have let the reliever Come back in again to host. I am JP Acosta, NFL writer at SB Nation, and I'm joined by my co-worker and co-host, Mark Schofield over at SB Nation. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well, JP. It is uh, great to see you today. Uh, I'm excited to see you in the host chair again. And I'm wondering if you noticed what I'm wearing right now. Oh, boy. Oh, that's it. A- <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. I didn't. We did it. No, not now. I need one. I need one. Is, we did it, baby. We got the official ever. JP Acosta SB Nation shirt. Very excited to be rolling this out today. I'm excited to have you back in the host chair too, man. We're gonna go, just go off of vibes today, baby. I know, right? It's good. It's gonna be exciting. I had a lot of fun last week. Also, wanted to shout out to RJ. Not feeling too well. A little under the weather. We hope you feel better, RJ. We will not trash the Cowboys as much as we would have if you were healthy and yeah. here today. But we'll, we'll do, only do it a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little. Just to, just to keep you humble. But we're going to get started with a guy that you watched and wrote up a little bit earlier today, and that is DJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. What a performance. We're starting with the fireworks show early today. Stroud threw for 470 yards, an NFL rookie record, as the Texans came from behind to beat the Bucs 39-37, this game had everything. It had offense. It had optional defense sometimes. It had a running back kicking field goals, which was like nailed straight through, which was amazing. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you a little bit what you thought about Stroud's game from yesterday because it was just – it was a fireworks show. It was so good, JP. He was just so good. And, you know, it's interesting, as I wrote, like back at the combine, he was like, look, I'm a ball placement specialist. And we knew ball placement was a strength of his. But of course, the big question coming out was the athleticism playing under pressure and all of that. But he was, again, so good in that realm as well. Like accuracy, throws were on point, ball placement. But then the athleticism too, the ability to create, to extend some of the throws that he made, some of the plays in that game. He was moving outside of the pocket. It was just a really good performance. And if you had any questions about Stroud coming into the season, okay, that's fine. Like people see quarterbacks differently. People thought maybe Bryce Young was QB1, Richardson. There were some people that believed in Levis. But I think it's time to put those questions to bed. And I was talking with some people, you know, last night, people that maybe preferred another quarterback in this class. And they were like, yeah, it was because of the playing under pressure, the playing and, you know, under duress in the pocket. Yesterday, put those to bed because he had some throws in that game where he had to create space with his feet. He had defenders in his face. There was a play that I highlighted in the piece that I wrote where he hit Brown off of play action on a deep sort of crossing route, and he has to step up in the pocket that he has to make that throw knowing he's going to take a hit. 
just an absolutely tremendous performance. And I know there's there's panic down in Charlotte right now about Bryce Young and Richardson's hurt and Levis had a you know a shaky second start. So people were like, oh, Stroud was basically the guy. It's still too early to like wave off those other guys and say that you know they're they're busts or whatever. But Stroud's legit. He's absolutely legit. Yeah, and going into the NFL draft, I I said C.J. Stroud is a professional quarterback. He does yeah. things in a very professional manner. He's going to get that ball out on time, the accuracy, the ball placement. And it's not just like – I think we see ball placement as like, oh, you're putting this go route right, in, right over the shoulders of the receiver. But no, ball placement is also leading your guy away from getting destroyed by safeties. And there were a lot of throws against the Bucs where C.J. Stroud was doing just that. I think – one of the throws that you had in your story that you can find on SB Nation, amazing piece as always. There's a throw to Tank Dell over the middle of the field where, yeah, he looks wide open, but Stroud is also leading him away from that safety coming down from off the top of the roof. So he's leading them away from a major hit. That's something that a lot of quarterbacks who, are, who aren't in their rookie year are, do, are still trying to figure out. CJ Stroud's doing that nine games into his rookie year. This is a very professional very NFL level quarterback. And I tweeted out during the game, the connection between that he has between him and Nico Collins has been so cool to watch. He has unlocked Nico Collins ability over the middle of the field. If you look at the passing chart that CJ Stroud had uh, next gen stats, we tell the passing charts all the time. If you look, if you look at CJ Stroud's passing chart, it looks like if you took a Shanahan offense and then you like multiplied it by a thousand, because that's what you that's what you're doing. Bobby Slowick came from the San Francisco 49ers offensive tree. And now you have a dude in there at quarterback who can make throws to every level of the field with timing and accuracy and ball placement. And it just looks like what it did against the Bucs. It's those kind of performances that when you're starting to think, okay, maybe instead of being like the Texans will be able to compete over the next three to five years, we're talking next year. It's it's go time. Like you can. There, there, I, I was actually looking at it. Like there's a path to a wooded record for them. Like you look at the rest of their schedule. Like they've got a lot of winnable games left. They've got some tough ones too. Like they get the Bengals coming up. They get the Browns later in the season. So there's going to be some tough games too. But there's a path to a you know nine and eight record and a shall we say tiny sliver of a window where they could get in this year. Like it's a massive long shot. But they could get in, you know. Shout out RJ, who sort of had this before the season. And, and to your point about yardage after the catch and ball placement, right now the top five in yardage after the catch per completion are Patrick Mahomes at one, Brock Purdy at two, Justin Fields at three, interestingly enough, and CJ Stroud at four. And you know, I we're of the same mind that yardage after the catch, yes, it's in part a receiver stat, but it's a QB stat too. Like if you're putting the football to lead receivers away from the nearest threat, that creates opportunities for Yak. The numbers back it up. The film, the numbers, they all show it. He's been so good in ball placement. This team is so wildly ahead of schedule, ahead of where I thought they would be. Stroud's a huge reason why. Yeah, and before we move on to the next game, I do want to shout out Dare Ogunbowale, who is the Texans running back slash backup kicker who drilled a 29-yard field goal, a go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter. To give them the lead, the they trusted a yeah. back to yeah. go ahead. This was amazing, and if you watch the clip, we put we wrote about it yesterday. Like if you listen to the announcers, they're like, "You got to watch for a fake hit, right? Like they're gonna fake this. They're they're certainly not gonna let it." And he drilled it. And what was even more amazing, I was wondering, you know. I guess it made sense for them to kneel for, for Houston to kneel on that two point conversion try because you get a block return, you know, only bad things can happen in that sort of scenario. But what if they let them out there and just kick it, just kick the PAT one more time, like to basically put the final point of the day, be it a extra point try from your four strain running back who was only active because Damian Pierce was hurt. I do wonder for fantasy football purposes, do they give Ogunbowale the points for making that kick? Is that something you have to, right? And you you roster him as a kicker and a running back because that would be really cool. Um, But yeah, congrats to the Texans, the Bucks. I mean, you you got outplayed. Like, there's none. You got 37 points. You should win the game, but you should. But, you know, this was a defense optional kind of game, but they're still in the NFC South. So they still (laughs) got a shot. I mean, they still got a shot. Well, speaking of the NFC South, we're going to go to another 
early game quarterback performance that had all of our eyes turning, and that is Josh Dobbs coming in cold for the Minnesota Vikings, who he was just traded to five days earlier and leading the Vikings to an upset over the Atlanta Falcons, 31-28. This was a wild game. Went to overtime. It really did have everything. Jaron Hall, the rookie from BYU, started for the Vikings, got hurt on the first play of the game, left, not first play of the game, first drive of the game, left with a concussion. Dobbs came in cold. He had to learn the cadence during the game. Kevin O'Connell was walking through him with the plays in between the in between breaks, and they won the game. That is impressive on so many levels. So many levels. And Arif Hassan, who's covered the Vikings for years, has a fantastic substack, wide left, or a great piece that's out this morning about just the terminology aspect of this. Because, you know, we've both read playbooks, study playbooks, and all that stuff. You could run this, you can have the same exact play in three different offenses, and it will be three different names, three different, you know, play calls for it. There is a translation that has to happen. When you, as a quarterback or really any position player, come to a new team, the first process is learning the playbook. And a lot of that is translating what you know into the new terminology. So when the play gets called, you know what you're supposed to do. And to your point, you know, they would, Kevin O'Connell would call a play and be like, okay, well, what you're going to see on the left is what you're used to calling peel. And what you're going to see on the right is what you're used to calling tosser. Because he has to then translate into, okay, this is what Dobbs knows this to be. I have to now tell him what it's going to be. Dobbs was basically saying he didn't know the cadence. You know, the center, Bradbury, had to like walk him through what the five, their five standard snap counts were. He didn't know receivers' names. And they go out and have this kind of performance. And if you haven't seen it yet, O'Connell's post-game speech, man, it's goosebumps. I mean, legitimate goosebumps. Like he walks through everybody, highlights everybody, everybody gets a game ball. But then he gives the main one to Dobbs um, for that performance. And it was just – he didn't get a single rep in practice because you had to get a rookie ready to go. Just an absolutely stellar performance and, you know, just absolutely improbable. Yeah, that's going to be one that Dobbs never forgets. That's going to be that's going to be a game that we're going to look back on in like three, five years and be like, hey, remember when Josh Dobbs like came in for the Vikings cold and won in Atlanta? Like this wasn't the home game. They were on the road in Mercedes-Benz and they managed to win that game in overtime, which brings us to the flip side of that game. This is a really bad loss if you're yeah. Atlanta. And it's not yeah. just, oh, it's you you got beat. Like you sometimes you just don't got it on, on a day. But the backup quarterback was signed five days ago. And you couldn't figure out a way to win. It's just yeah. this might be like this might be the curtain call for Arthur Smith if this is if this is what's going to happen. Because at this point, they're they have the same record as they did last year and an arguably better roster. At some point, something's got to give. I mean, A, they're still in the NFC South. So, I mean, <laughs> they still got that going for them. But, yeah, I mean, they do have a better roster, but as has been well documented throughout this entire season, it's not like it seems like he knows how to use that roster. I mean, you know, there was a video floating around, and I don't know if it was Arthur Smith's son or somebody else dressed up as Arthur Smith for Halloween. And somebody quoted it with, yeah, whoever that is, they're calling more plays for Bijan than Arthur Smith is. Like, they're not using the talent that they have. From my perspective, look, I picked Atlanta as my lock of the week. And the main reason was like, look, all right, you're going to get a little bit more out of this passing game now because I think Haneke is an upgrade over Desmond Ritter. We sure about that now? Like, he didn't look great in this game. And, uh, yeah, it's bad in Atlanta right now. This was a bad loss. They're still in the NFC South, so they could still end up winning this division. So some interesting stats that I saw from this game from the Falcons' perspective. Lizal Robinson, Tyler Algier, the entire run game only averaged 3.9 yards a carry. Johnu Smith led the team in receiving yards, which is, which, what? Which is great. What? Tight end, too. And, again, it's not only him leading the team in receiving yards. He also led the team in targets. Him yeah. and Daryl Hodge. I understand that Drake London was hurt, but, you know, we still have Kyle Pitts on the roster. Kyle Pitts had four catches for 56 yards, five targets. But those are the type of games where you need to get the ball to your best players in the best spots. And Arthur Smith still has not figured out a way to do that consistently. Yeah, it's really confusing. And I, we've talked about this over the run of shows. We've talked about it offline as well. Like the concepts and stuff are there. 
Like, like he's dialing up stuff where people are open, but whether it's a fact of the quarterback not getting the ball there, like with Ritter, or maybe not going back to these designs, maybe it's a situation where he dials something up and you've got Drake London open or you've got Kyle Pitts open and it doesn't connect and Smith's like, well, it's just not going to work and he doesn't come back to it. I mean, maybe that's part of it. There was also obviously last week where they have like tight end three thrown a tight end two with tight end one Kyle Pitts into block, which is just sure. Okay, fine. Um, but it, it, it's not working. And when you when all you can say about the team is that the best thing that they've got going for them is their division, it doesn't really speak well about what's happening inside the building. Not a lot of confidence there at all. It's it's getting not 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 necessarily like the seat is warm because the seat is more than warm. Like we're getting to. Oh, yeah. We're yeah, it's it's toasty buns time. Yeah, we're we might be slow cooker, slow cooker yeah. at this point. Where is it crock pot time? I think it's for crock for pot Arthur Smith. Hawkins. I think Arthur Smith it might be. Crock pot time. We we can't, we can't throw him in the crock pot though because we need all four of us, right? Remember it has to be. We man. need all four of us. We need. We can't do it without RJ. We need RJ's executive fa- favor. We need him to be listening. I know he's always listening. We need him to sound off and tell us if he is if Arthur Smith can go in the crock pot. But until we get that notice from him, we're gonna go. Back a little bit to the first game of the, of the weekend. Or not the first game of the weekend. The first game of the day in Frankfurt, Germany, where the Kansas City Chiefs, at first it was looking real comfortable. Then it got a real uncomfortable with the Chiefs defeating the Miami Dolphins 21-14. to Neither offense really looked too good in this game. But, you know, there's, the questions are still going to be asked about the Chiefs offense. But the defense really, really stood out to me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I wrote early in the game, Steve Spagnuolo masterclass. It seemed like he was doing a lot of interesting stuff, slot pressures, sim pressures, a lot of different stuff. They were able to get pressure at four at times, you know, and then you get the the Miami sort of comeback, ends up being a closer game than we thought it was going to be. But I think, like, my, my, my main takeaways are two. One, the Chiefs won, I don't know if you call this a clunker, but they still found a way to win which kind of in this year seems like what you got to do if you want to be a good team. You find a way to lose the close games. We've seen some teams that have struggled to do that. From Miami's perspective, I reiterate, and I know people have been talking about it, their last win over a winning team with a winning record was like, like before Halloween last season. Like It's been a long time. And, yes, you know the record is what it is. They've you know played who's on their schedule, and they've won more than they've lost. But do we still really trust this team as we get into later November, as we get into December, as you start thinking about this team in a playoff game? It's hard to buy in, isn't it? It's it's tough. And I think the biggest thing is the offense just hasn't been clicking against these teams that, you know, I think it's the the whole winning record thing is, yeah, that's going to get the major talking point. But in all those losses, they have been severely outplayed up front. At least through for the Chiefs game through the first three quarters, they could not run the ball, which really, really hampered their offense. You know, I think the Chiefs brought a level of physicality, not only along the defensive front, but along the secondary. Like, I think one of the things that I've always kind of thought would be a good, not a not a a foolproof like option for slowing down the Dolphins offense, but a option that you can have is you have to be physical with them up front at the line of scrimmage. You have to press. Because you can't let them have that timing. You have to th- you have to change the picture. You have to be able to slow them down somehow. You have to speed them up some way. And I think the Chiefs were able to do that. They have physical DB group. It's the growth of that DB group from yeah. where they were last year to being one of the best groups in the league this year. Trent McDuffie is a star at the nickel spot. He was everywhere yeah. uh, on Sunday morning. But then, you know, they started to find the lanes in the run game, and that's really what opened up the rest of the offense. But from the Chiefs' perspective, I kind of feel like the roles have been kind of reversed from last year, where the offense was flying high and the defense was just along for the ride, and then the defense started to figure it out later on in the season. Now I start to feel like the roles are flipped. The defense is among the best in the league, and sure, the offense still has Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but – they're still trying to figure it out. I think it's not that I think the receiver group for the Chiefs is bad. It's that they're young. You know, yeah. it's not like the Dolphins played a lot of man coverage and nobody like could get open. They were playing a lot of zone. It's just 
the pass rush for the Dolphins really, really hurt the Chiefs up front. All the stunts and loops completely threw off the Chiefs' pass protection. I think that's something they have to iron out quickly. But also, you don't have that. You don't have that Juju Smith-Schuster working the whole yep. zones. You don't have that guy anymore. That's Rasheed Rice. And as good as I think Rasheed Rice has played recently, it's still a rookie. It's still some young guys on that team. You need to figure out ways to better, better help these receivers to move along. But I have a lot more faith in this team than most others because we've seen them do this before. Yeah, they've done this before. I think it's also important to remember with Miami, they're so banged up up front on offense. Like, like their offensive line is really hurting. And I think that's part of it, right? You go up against a defense that has Chris Jones and others, like you're going to get roughed up a little bit. You're going to struggle to find some of those run lanes. And so much of what they do offensively is predicated in the run game. So I think with that offensive line banged up, that's going to be a problem. I think another thing with respect to Miami is this, and you sort of highlighted it, timing is everything in that offense. Like Orlowski was talking about it during the game. Like two is so great, time and a rhythm. When you get that thrown off, even if it's just a simple jam at the line with a physical secondary group, that's going to be a big thing. And so I think you're going to see more teams lean into that for Miami down the stretch. If they've got defensive backs that can play a physical style, they're going to try to get hands on, try to throw off that time for Kansas city. Yeah. I mean, they're missing a guy that can find holes in zones right now. It, it, they, they had that entire week. That was for all the stuff about his speed and everything that obviously he brings to the table, finding soft spots in zones and that chemistry with receiver and quarterback was a huge part of what he brought in Kansas city. They don't have that yet. Other than say Travis Kelsey, they they're missing that element. We talked about it last week. Can they find that? Yeah. But with younger receivers, like you said, it's going to take some time. It's going to take time and it's going to take a lot more of, they're going to have to supplant that a little bit with the run game. They're going to have to lean yeah. more to that. And that's why you invest in, that's why you go and draft Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. That's why you go and pay Joe Tooney. It's yeah. why you do those. That's why you revamp the offensive line. So you can, if you run into this situation, you don't necessarily have something you don't, you can't fall off, you know, like it's going to, it's going to have to take an efficient run game to kind of supplant those to where you're not necessarily asking Patrick Mahomes to be, Superman every time, which right. he can do, but that's not that's not a way that the offense can live. We're going to get to an offense that kind of lives like that later on when we talk about them. But now I think the margin has kind of closed, not closed, but the margin is kind of tightened for the Chiefs where yeah. it's not necessarily known that they're the best team in the AFC because the best team in the AFC might be in Baltimore. The Ravens handed out another beatdown of an NFC division leader taking down the Seahawks 37-3. to this was just a dismantling. And one of the things that really stood out to me was how good the Ravens defense is up front and how good they're getting play from Jadavian Clowney, who was a street signing, and Kyle Van Noy. Kyle Van Noy has five sacks in six games that he's played for, as a Baltimore Raven. I tweeted this out, but the Chicago Bears have 10 sacks as a team. And Kyle Van Noy has five in six games since he got to Baltimore. That's insane level of production. They're getting the best level of play out of guys we didn't think they'd get it out. Geno, St Geno Stone leads the NFL in interceptions. And it's just not only can they get that pressure, but they can change the picture so quickly up yeah. and in the secondary. The Geno Stone interception, they looked like they were going to play cover zero. They had everybody up at the line of scrimmage. And then they drop out in the cover two. Geno Smith throws the go route to Tyler Lockett thinking he has cover zero and he's got Tyler Lockett, no, no help over the top. But then when they shift out the cover two, Geno Stone is right there. And Tyler Lockett miscommunicates on the play because he reads cover two at the post snap. Geno Smith doesn't. That's what the Ravens defense can do to opposing teams. And then the offense just continues to find production at everybody. So what are you when you watch the Ravens and the Seahawks, what kind of stood out to you about like watching Lamar and watching this offense against the Seahawks defense that is really talented? Yeah, I mean, this is a very good Seattle defense. And you can look at a couple of different metrics and say that they're top eight, top six, top five this year. 
But Baltimore just has a couple of different ways they can beat you. They've they've found some things that have been working for them in the passing game. They've obviously got an extremely diverse and varied run game where they can go zone, they can go power, they can go gap, they can do a whole bunch of different things. They can get tight ends involved, obviously, with Mark Andrews. And we talked about this going into the year. This is going to be sort of the return of big boy football. And you see, you know, first play of the game, they're coming out in a heavy personnel package with multiple tight ends. And they just get Andrews, you know, on an over route off of run action, off of all the things that we've thought were going to be big parts of the season, Baltimore is able to do that. And so the offense is fascinating. And then, of course, you also have perhaps the most talented quarterback, you know, just physically talented in Lamar Jackson, just a one-of-one unicorn type of athlete who's so good at playing the quarterback position from the pocket as well as outside of it. And then there's also, look, to go back to your point about their defense, Mike McDonald. You know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with what they've been able to do, like that game against Detroit. When we get into head coach interview and hiring season, remember what he's doing right now, because, you know, that play you brought up, you know, that's why you spin coverages as a defensive coordinator. You might not fool the quarterback, like, but that's just part of it. You might fool the receiver. Like, and that's an important thing to remember. Like, you know, people would like spin coverages against Tom Brady over the years and people would be like, why are you doing that? You're not going to fool Brady. Yeah, you might not, but you might fool Edelman. And here, you know, you might not fool Gino, but you might fool Tyler Lockie. You might get them on different pages. And so that's a big part of what they're able to do so well. It's just, just, and that throws timing off too. Because even if it just takes a half second for one of those two players to read it out right, throws the timing off. The other thing to remember with this team is this, and, DVOA, say what you want about it. Look, but we we sort of look at that. They're the third best team in total DVOA ever through nine games after the 2007 Patriots and the 1991 Washington football team. Then it's the Baltimore Ravens. Like, that speaks volumes. Can they keep this up? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, they're going to have some tougher games. They're going to get a game against Cincy and a healthy Joe Burrow in two weeks. But they're a very good football team. And dare we say, are they the best team in the NFL right now? They might have a very strong case. I think they are. When it, when it comes to level of play right now, there's the only team that can really kind of challenge them in terms of how well they're playing right now are the Eagles, maybe the Jaguars. Yeah. Like maybe. They, they, they are playing at such a high level right now that it just – like the defensive line, not only were they creating sacks and pressures, they were batting passes. They were ne- they were negating the run game. And then you add on top of that, the Ravens ran for 298 yards, 7.3 yards a carry. Keaton Mitchell was a fun wink-wink kind of player this, this uh, game. Nine carries for 138 yards. He brought a different type of style to the Ravens running back room. He brought some legit juice. Yeah. He has some explosion to where now you have to account for, oh, both guys in this backfield can take this to the house from either 40, you know? So it's just, they have so many weapons. They have so many varied ways of using these guys. They're, I think they are the best team in the NFL right now. And I mean, you you just ran into a buzzsaw. Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe part of it is West Coast team coming to East playing in that early window, like, historically that hasn't been you know a a good situation for those teams but this kind of thumping like you know if they had gone in and lost by like say 10 it'd be like okay well fine like there's this was a this was perhaps the biggest sort of statement game i think of the day like like baltimore has basically said oh you weren't paying attention you should be yeah and seattle went one for 12 on third down that is like it's it's cool to say, yeah, West Coast, East Coast, but you got your butt kicked. Like, that's yeah. that's really it. You got your butt yeah. kicked. Um, Geno Smith had a couple turnovers, an interception, like we said, and the fumble. That's something that's worth, like, you know, hey, maybe Geno, let's kind of cut back on the turnovers a little bit. Yeah. But I think the Seahawks will be fine. They just ran into <laughs> – they ran into arguably the best team in the NFL. Yeah. Moving on to another game that existed on Sunday. Uh, the Cleveland Browns defeated the Arizona Cardinals 27-0. to zero. Um, We all have our fast forwards. If any of us want to use them, go for it. But... I'm going to use it on behalf of RJ. How about that? Okay. We'll use it on behalf of RJ. 
So one sentence on Browns, Cardinals, if you would like. Deshaun had a couple of decent throws in this game. Like, I, I, I think that's my sort of one sentence. I mean, Arizona was bad. Arizona was really bad yesterday. So my one sentence is good luck, Kyler. Welcome back. Fair enough. Like that's here we go. So next game we're gonna go on to. Unfortunately, we you weren't gonna slide that we were gonna slide too far. The Washington Commanders take out the New England Patriots 20 to 17 in a game that I don't know, man. I did I I don't know what to make of either of these teams. Sam Howell threw for 325 oh. yards. The Patriots did the same Patriots things. Mark, this team's bad. What happened here? This team is just bad. Like, I don't know what else to say. I mean, last night my wife and I, you know, kids were in bed. We're like watching the end of the bills Bengals game and they flash up the, the AFC East standings when it was clear that the Bills were going to lose. And it's like to see that two and seven at the bottom. It's just, and my wife was like, our teams usually, do teams usually have a record that bad at this point in the season? I'm like, well, the Patriots usually don't. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, Max getting crushed for the interception late. That was a good throw. Maybe it was a slightly too aggressive decision in that moment, but like he put that in a really catchable spot and went right through Juju's hands. Like, I don't know what more Mac could have done and people may be crushing him for the decision, but it doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't think if they complete that pass and they go down and win that game, it's going to save Mac's future here in New England. Um, it's a bad football team. They made Sam Howell look like CJ Stroud. Like, it's a bad football team. There's no relief on the site, uh, you know, in sight. And guess what, friends? We get Colts, Patriots in Germany early next Sunday morning. So that coupled with the Christmas Eve Island game of Broncos Patriots later this season. Like sending man. Colts and Pats to Germany feels like an international act of aggression. It does, right? Like that. Like, I feel like Germany is going to be like, you know what? We're good. We like, don't yeah, need we, this one. You don't have to send us this game. Yeah. Can you yeah. give us more of Chiefs yeah. Dolphins? Like we, just, we can like, we just play, can we run that back next week? We'll do yeah, that. Can we just keep them over here. Yeah. I guess I'll talk about from the commander's perspective. Uh, still don't know with Sam Howell. Like, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, he is the most confusing quarterback in the NFL because sometimes, like, you can see it. Like, sometimes, like, oh, it looks really good. But sometimes it just – the bad is so, so bad. The interception yeah. he threw to Kyle Duggar was really, really, really bad. But the touchdown yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Like, it's he – is, he is Russian roulette at quarterback. Like, it's sometimes maybe good, sometimes not great. Not great at all. It's just – and I know they're going into 2024. They're probably thinking, like, yeah, this guy is going to be our quarterback of the future. But, man, it's, it's such a highly volatile player to kind of hit your wagon to. Like, I, I, I'm enjoying it. It kind of feels like we're watching the 30-30 Jameis without the 30 interceptions right. or the 30 touchdowns. Like, it just – every throw, you never know what's going to happen because Sam Howell is going to run to his right and then throw it back across the field, and sometimes it'll fall in the hands of a commander's player. Sometimes it'll fall in the hands of Kyle Duggar. You never know. But but I do want to share this brilliant bit of insight. QB Sam Howell did well executing the game plan. He threw for over 300 yards his third game this season. Magic Johnson's tweets, baby. His post-game <laughs> tweets when this team plays are just fantastic. Magic also pointed out, I want to give a special shout-out to our receivers. They were excellent and caught just about everything Howell threw their way today. Coach Rivera had the team ready to play. Coach Eric Bianami called an excellent game. He was creative on offense and switched between runs and passes. Hell yeah. There you go, Magic. We need to get Magic on the show to talk some commander's ball. Seriously, we do. No, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just, his tweets are always awesome. I'm very happy with my commander's win over the Patriots. Players stepped up on both sides of the ball and played consistent in the entire fourth quarter. It's like, it's literally, remember earlier this year when that newspaper had AI write a like recap of a high school football game? Like his tweets kind of have that vibe. 
Like, I wonder if he's sitting on his phone and he's like asking Siri to like type out a tweet for him to sum up the re- the, the commander's games. I want to know if he's actually writing these tweets. I don't think he is, but no. this has been such a long period of magic tweets that have been like this. We're like, maybe he is just like a sentient AI. But I know, yeah. I know Kist is listening. Kist, if there's any way we can get Magic Johnson on here, seriously, Kist about the commanders, let's make it happen. Yeah, even if he has to wait till the Super Bowl, like I don't care. We we need magic breaking down some commanders football on this show. Yeah, I need I need to ask him some questions about Sam Howell. Like that's that's what needs to happen on this show. But we're gonna make we're gonna make it happen eventually. Magic, I also know you're listening. You're welcome on the pod anytime, bud. Anytime. So floor is yours. Yep. The next game we're gonna get into was also a game that happened. I'm gonna use my fast forward on this one. The Los Angeles Rams lose to the Green Bay Packers 20 to 3. This was just not fun. Not fun for anybody involved. I'm using my fast forward. Um, my one tweet is, or not one tweet, my one sentence is the Rams are now in the quarterback sweepstakes. Yeah, my one sentence is everybody, I'm sorry. I I I was a big Brett Rippin defender back <laughs> when he came out. I was screaming from the rooftops that he should have gotten a senior bowl invite. I had him QB4 in that draft class. And yeah, this was my last <laughs> ride. And it rode straight into a ditch, my friends. Um, yeah, we'll always have that that Monday night game though, when he went into New York and beat the Jets when he threw like two touchdowns and also threw like three picks. I mean, as for the Packers, you won a football game. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, if you're going out, if you're Brett Rippin, if you're going out, go out in a blaze of glory. One interception, two fumbles, one of them lost. That's a blaze of glory. Yeah. Right I there. mean, it is absolutely a blaze of glory. You're gonna be bad, be the worst. Never yeah. just be regular bad. Right. Speaking of never just be bad, be the worst, the New Orleans Saints defeat the Chicago Bears 24-17. Tyson Badgett threw for 220 yards. This was a game where in my fantasy football league, I uh, my ja- the Jaguars defense was on a bye, so I needed to just stream a defense, and I chose the Saints because, you know, maybe they'd be good against a Bears team that doesn't look pretty pretty impressive. And no, you know, Tyson Badgett happened. No, I mean, for for the Bears fans that were starting to think or talk themselves into a Tyson Badgett versus Justin Fields quarterback battle, like, I think you could step away from that one. Like, he he may be a very good backup quarterback in the NFL, and that's fine. But I I don't think you're in a situation where you can look at him and say, yeah, he's going to be the long-term answer. I mean, this was a weird Taysom Hill day. Like, oh he threw God. a touchdown pass. Like, every time, like, I would, like, I had the dual TVs going. So, I had dual quad boxes. I had, like, eight games going at once. And you know, the Saints were, like, bottom right in my field of vision. Every time I, like, glanced down there, I'm like, Taysom Hill is in the game? What's Is this a Taysom Hill game? And then you go back, you spin through the replay, and it's like, yeah, this is a Taysom Hill game. 11 carries in this game. You know, one for one pass for a three-yard touchdown. Like, we're still doing this? We he cannot keep getting away with it. Yeah, I'm sorry, he can't. He had more. He had more carries in this game than Alvin Kamara. Yeah, what, what, stop it, stop it. Enough. I, the world has had enough of Taysom Hill. I mean, the Saints didn't look overly impressive, but again, no. you picked up a win in the NFC South. But right. again, again, November twenty sixth and January seventh, Saints Falcons. Just get it over with. We are getting Saints-Falcons as the final game of the season for this NFC South playoff spot and a home playoff game. Like I need the sweet release of just never having to worry about the NFC South ever again. Like, yeah. please. Well, we're not going to get it because we're going to have – it's going to be like – like I used to think that, you know, that scene from The Office with Michael Scott like force-feeding Kevin Broccoli, that was Sean Payton with Taysom Hill with all of us, and we're still getting that, but it's not Sean Payton anymore. But that's going to be the NFL schedule makers with the NFC South down the stretch. They're going to be force feeding us more and more of these games. God, I, it's going to be so bad. I, it's going to be horrendous. Next game we're going to go to, we're going to get into the afternoon slate. We're going to start with the Philadelphia Eagles managing to get by the Dallas Cowboys once again, 28-23. The Cowboys had the ball to go to drive down to win the game. And then the Cowboys happened. It's 
again, Philly just finds ways to win. It doesn't matter how pretty or ugly it looks. They just find ways to win, and they did it once again today, uh, Sunday. Yeah, I mean, this was a fascinating game for a couple of different reasons. Like, early in the game, like, Philly had some statement drives. Like, they had that statement drive to sort of open the game, right? Like, they go for it on fourth down. They when they obviously get it with the brotherly shove, they go for it again on like fourth and three and they get it with a great throw from Hertz. I thought it was very interesting. Greg Olson kept saying throughout this game that like the advantage of the, the brotherly shove isn't just the fact that, you know, you can get it on fourth and short. It changes your mindset as a play caller, right? Like, you know, you don't need to get six yards of play. Like you can get three yards. You can get yourself into fourth and one because you know you're going to get it. But Dallas kept sort of answering. And... You know, they didn't win this game, but I thought Dak played really well. Yeah. Like, you had him in a position to win this game against a defense that's very good. You know, dinged up a little bit at times. Bradbury got dinged up later in the game. But I thought he played really well. And I think ultimately it's one of those games where if you're Dallas, you think, all right, well, would have loved to have won this. That would have been a sort of statement win. But we lost to our rivals on the road. We're going to get them at home. Like, we've got an opportunity to win games going forward. And I think, you know, Dak's still pretty good. Like, I think Dallas is probably okay. This is a better feeling after this loss than obviously the loss to San Francisco. Yeah, and I think from the Eagles' perspective, I think they're still, like, it's weird to say because the passing game can still do the deep shots to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, but I still feel like they're leaving some, they're leaving some meat on the bone with the passing offense. I feel like... Not having Shane Steichen has kind of reverted Jalen Hurts back a little bit to where there are there are some times against the Cowboys on third downs where he's just drifting backwards. He keeps yeah. going back and back and back and back, and he's running himself into pressure. It just feels like that all that growth and development over the middle of the field has kind of gone away a little bit. And this is just very nitpicky considering the Eagles are eight and one and have the yeah. best record in the NFL, but. It's that it's those kind of things that will kind of that'll make a difference when you get to the playoffs and you get to the Super Bowl because that's what the Eagles are looking at right now. But their margin for error is so wide because they have the best offensive line in football and a game changing defensive line. This defensive line was amazing on Sunday. We said Dak played phenomenally. He was also sacked five times, and the Eagles defensive front. Got after him. Josh Sweat had a phenomenal game. Uh, Hassan Reddick played really well. It's just they have these guys who can completely flip games on both sides of the offensive and defensive line that makes it so difficult to consistently beat them. And, you know, the Cowboys had a chance with 27 seconds left. They were they were first and goal on the six-yard line, and they went. False start, sack, incompletion, delay of game, and completion short of the goal line. Like, you're not going to – like that's that's a rough way to end it. Yeah, just absolutely sort of self, you know, moliated at that moment. To your point about the Eagles offensive line, I love this tweet from Benjamin Solak. Eagles pass rush the first 55 minutes of every game. Win some reps, little pressure, ooh, a sack, how fun. Eagles pass rush the final five minutes of the game. Death machine, knives, and anger. Like, yeah, that, that fit it to a T. And, you know, Dak still played well in the face of that. It's just... I mean, I guess the worry then if you're a Dallas fan is what you saw at the end of the game. It's just like, okay, you get this close and then you just sort of vomit all over yourselves. Again, like It's the red zone stuff. Yeah. Like the margin was the Eagles went three for three in the red zone. The Cowboys went three for five. And, you know, one of those was a play where Luke Schoonmaker was one, like half a yard short. Yeah. Like, that's, that's rough. Like that's As our friend Matt Warren pointed out, if he had skipped just like one arm day and the biceps were just a tiny bit smaller, that's a touchdown. Like but, if, if he had like Bryce Young arms, then like he's that's a touchdown. We're talking yeah. Cowboys differently, but yeah. those are the type of margins. Or if Dak's feet were like a tiny bit smaller, right? He doesn't yeah. step out of bounds on a two-point conversion. It's like when Kevin Durant was on the Nets, they were playing the uh, Bucks. I think it was in the semi semifinals or the Eastern Conference Finals, and he hits a he hits what looks like a game winning three, but his foot was on the line. Just on the line, it's, yeah. It's those kind of things were like, it's just tough. Like, you know, that the red zone woes aren't going to go away. And it's just those type of things where you always end up like half a yard short or half a yard out of balance. Like those type of things 
it's not where like oh it's necessarily like fixable it's just keep your foot in balance <laughs> like it's really it's really and this, and this is the too. point of the show where everybody googles the al pacino you know any given sunday speech right football's a game of inches like this is where you go you go watch that and then you come back and watch the rest of the pod yeah like football's a game of inches and the cowboys just they they're not getting they the inches they short. yeah so next game we're gonna go into um <laughs> the, the raiders Getting the post McDaniel's ball. Oh, we got a oh, we got a Rochelle's fast forward. <laughs> I mean, I have never seen visual <laughs> evidence of a team that despised their head coach as much as we saw last night. They were just smoking victory cigars, friends. That was the Josh McDaniels pack right there. I mean, they <laughs> they let it all out. And you wrote it last week. This is a team that finally is having fun again. Like seeing Max Crosby and company lighting up the cigars in the locker room after they won a game. My goodness, this is a team that's feeling much differently about themselves right now. So I'm going to keep it brief here, but. Tommy DeVito had the worst day for Italians since the North Macedonia loss. Oh yeah, it's just not a great day for Italians around. The, not a great day for Italians in the area because Jimmy Garoppolo is probably not giving, getting that job back. Like, no, it, it's over for the Italians in the NFL. So we're going to move on to the Indianapolis Colts. Taking down the Carolina Panthers. I'm using mine. I'm using mine. We got to skip. All right, Mark, one sentence here. Jim Ursay dancing in the locker room <laughs> to dreams and nightmares is going to haunt me for the rest of my days. Oh, my God. Like, when we saw that last night, and I tempered the because I wrote about it. I tempered it a little bit, right? Like we all know Super Bowl 52 ended the second the Eagles came out to dreams and nightmares. Like that game was over. Like Patriots, you see Tom Brady coming out to crazy train. It's like, look, man, taking the field to games, which I took the field on in in high school, like it's over. Everything that happened, Philly special, the strip sack of Brady, like everything that happened in that game was just, it didn't matter. Like the game is over there. But I feel like this just ended it. Like, this just to strike. I can't. I can't get that image out of my mind. Why is he holding his hand so tight? And I know it shades. It's like shades. Like he wants his hand back. Life. He's not going to get it back. It's like it's like you're holding the toddler who's dancing, yeah. and the toddler yeah. can't walk. But it's Jim Ursay, the man who signs your contracts. Yeah. My one sentence is: I still believe in Bryce Young, but he is the Panthers are making it rough. Is just, they need to get him help. It's just it's really hard to believe in anything right now. It's he's reverting back to like the worst traits about Bryce Young because nothing is nothing's working. Like the inconsistency yeah. with play calling and then the poor receiving talent. It just it was not a very good offseason for talent acquisition. Right. I, I mean, because you have to give up DJ Moore to go get Bryce Young. And it sort of sets you back. And I think, you know, either you or James wrote earlier this season, man, Carolina would be great if they had a guy like DJ Moore. Like, they don't have that. And, you know, watching this game, James pointed out as well when we were talking about the games yesterday, now teams are like, you know what, we're just going to bracket Adam Thielen. Like, we're just going to absolutely take him away, force Bryce Young to go elsewhere the football. Where else is he going to go right now? They, they, don't, they don't have that. Now, I think when they get more weapons in, add some talent around him, Bryson will look better. But until that happens, we might see more games like this than the other. Yeah, and then uh, Brian Burns left this game with concussion, probably not going to play Thursday because we get Panthers-Bears on Thursday night football. DJ Moore revenge game, Thursday night football. Um, there are other things you can do with your time. Yeah, there. what college games are there Thursday night? Like, what else is going on? I'm um, going gonna, gonna to catch up on some anime. I, I might watch them. Even up. wait, no, Thursday. Virginia, Louisville, Southern Miss, Louisiana. Hey, Louisville, Louisville. Rank. Louisville. Good Top team. 15 team. All team. I mean, there you go. You want to watch a good Jawar Jordan? Good back. Yeah. But there's other things you can do with your time 
outside of watching. Spend your time wisely, friends. Yes. So we're going to get into the last game of the day. The Cincinnati Bengals handling the Buffalo Bills 24-18. It looked close, but it didn't necessarily feel that close. Like the two teams traded touchdowns early in the game, but then the Bengals kind of took off. Yeah, and I don't know whether I'm more concerned about the Bills right now after this game or more sort of excited about the Bengals. Like, I I don't know where I sort of come down on that spectrum of of outcomes here because I think from Cincinnati's perspective, it's like, okay, here they come, right? Here they come. We've seen this before. Burrow's healthy. I know there was a little bit of concern. You know, they had the heat pack on the calf at one point, then the right index finger and stuff. But it seems like he's got everything sort of figured out. That offense is clicking. That defense, as we've talked about in recent weeks, they've had answers for teams. They can get pressure with four. You saw a lot of that last night as well. And so I don't know if I'm just kind of in the camp of like, yo, Cincinnati, they're absolutely legit. Or is it really time to hit the panic button in Buffalo? Is it time to really worry about this team? Because injuries are mounting i mean you've got josh norman on the field at the end of the game like josh allen is trying to do way 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 too much at times and it seems like everything's kind of snowballing for them so i tweeted this out after the game and the bills just don't have any depth even before all the injuries they didn't have depth and i got a lot of bills fans that it's like where what were the where points they didn't have depth mainly receiver Like, that's the biggest thing. Dalton Kincaid is wide receiver two right now, and he's the second tight end. Yeah, and he's a rookie. Gabe Davis has not played great. Khalil Shakir is a fine wide receiver three or four. But it's those type of things that separate you from the Bengals or from the Ravens right now. Shoot, it separates you from the Dolphins. The Dolphins have depth there. They, Of course, the Bills beat the Dolphins, but I'm saying, like, in depth-wise, they don't have that. They don't have depth at corner. They didn't have depth at corner even when they started the season. Tredavious White was the starting corner, and, you know, he's coming off an injury, a catastrophic injury. Like, they don't have any depth at these spots, and now it's starting to snowball because now the impact players are getting hurt. Matt Milano's gone. Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde are in and out of the games. Ed Oliver, been injured. Vaughn Miller still has not recovered fully from a torn ACL. They just don't – this is – this game really reflected the – talent acquisition and the process that the bills have kind of built through the past few years in the Josh Allen era. Like there, there have been some bad misses, like, especially on day two of the draft, they just haven't had those kind of guys. And when you look at the offensive side of the ball, a lot of it is it's gotta be on Josh Allen. And like we talked about earlier this season, that reverts Josh Allen to his worst traits. You know, it reverts him back to playing hero ball in the, don't necessarily have to play hero ball, but for a team that doesn't have a consistent run game or it's not, it's either not consistent or they choose to not be consistent with the run game. It's, it's been the most confusing thing about the bills since Josh Allen became the quarterback, either they have a run game and they don't use it or they don't have a run game. Either way, you got to figure it out. But now it's just like, it's becoming a little bit like it's a little bit of panic time because those teams in the AFC East aren't going away. And not only that, you have fallen behind the other teams in the AFC, and that that conference is loaded. So now you're, you're not going to have the Buffalo in the winter advantage because you're not going to get home field. Yeah. And the other thing from Buffalo's perspective, yeah, they get Denver this week at home, winnable game. Then you get the Jets. Go to Philly to play the Eagles, to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. Now they get a buy in between those games. Then they get Dallas at home and a trip to LA to play the Chargers. Now they close out the season with a game against New England, who they lost to, by the way, and they ended in Miami, which is, you know, that game's probably going to be huge. That's going to be huge. I mean, that could end up being your Sunday night game to end the season, which may save us from Saints Atlanta. To, to end the season. So schedule makers, those of you who are watching, please let's do that instead of an, an NFC self showdown. But that's a tough schedule to, to go out in the season. And the other thing that sort of concerns me about this game, because one of the things we were saying about this team prior to this week was they weirdly play to their level of competition. They play Miami, they're going to blow them out. They play the Patriots, they play the Giants, 
they're going to lay some clunkers down and maybe lose one to the Patriots. This was a game where you thought, okay, well, if that trend holds, they're going to play a good football game and maybe win this one. Well, they didn't. And now where are we with this team? They're banged up. They're relying too much on Josh Allen, which, as you said, sort of caters to the worst demons inside of him where he sort of just sort of goes crazy and reverts to Wyoming, Josh Allen, whereas I, I got to play hero ball to fix everything. And it's not working for them right now. And with that slate of games coming up, look, yeah, they're one game above 500 right now. They could be below 500 come Christmas time. Yeah. And I think the way the Bengals played the bills offensively, I mean, they, the bills came out in that super spread 11 personnel that worked against Tampa, but the Bengals were like, okay, we'll just match the dime. Yeah. Force you to beat us running the ball. The Bills had a 55% success rate on their run plays against Cincinnati, but they only ran it 11 times. If you go down as far as you do against the Bengals and against any team, you're going to throw yourself into a hole, and then you have to throw Josh Allen out there to kind of save you from it, which brings us to the Bengals, and it looks like they're back. Like yeah. it, it looks like they are 100% back offensively, and getting Joe Burrow back healthy really did unlock everything for this offense, which we knew it would. Yeah, I, I think our bigger concern was could they get him back healthy? And I mean, I remember look where we were with this team when we did the football court, and we were wondering, hey, should they sort of sit him down? What should they do with him? You know, we get these two games coming up against Arizona and Seattle, then you get the bye, then you get the Niners and the Bills. You got to get everything right. You got to get Burrow right for those games out of the bye against the Niners and the Bills. Well, they went the other direction. They played him. They played through it. They've won four straight. Now they get a fascinating game with Houston this week. That's going to be fun to watch. But I think the one we should have circled now is Baltimore in two weeks, you know, at Baltimore. Like, that's going to be a huge game because they already lost, you know, at home to the Ravens. Like, you got to go into MT, you got to go into the bank and now get a win against that team who, as we just discussed, might be the best team in football. But they do look back offensively. I think defensively, look, they've got a lot of answers for what teams like Buffalo wants to do. Will that hold up against teams that might have more success running the football? Like, you know, if they go up against Miami, for example, at some point in the playoffs, and Miami's ability to run the ball, provided their offensive line is healthy, how is that going to look? They may still have success because they're very stout up front when they get pressure before and they can do things up front with the guys that they've got. But it does look like since he's back. Yeah, and that game against Baltimore is really important because, like you said, not only have they lost to Baltimore already, they've lost to Cleveland already. Like, they, they dug themselves into a hole early where now you need to win these games late in the season in the division. Of course, like, it's looking a little – not going to say it looks a little easier, but considering who the Browns and Steelers have at quarterback, like, it's looking a little easier. But, again, it's the AFC North. Yeah. that's just going to be those type of games. Like you're going to, you're, you're going to throw some clunkers out there. Now the, the AFC North is going to sort of beat up on each other over the rest of the schedule. But as it stands right now, all four teams are in, which is just, man, I, I, I thought that was going to be perhaps I should have bring this up, but I thought that might've been the AFC East. I was hoping that it might've been the AFC East. That's clearly not going to be the AFC East, but man, that division is going to be a battle down the stretch. They're, each team is going to end up cannibalizing each other by the end of the yeah. season. I do wonder if we actually get all four teams in the playoff. I doubt we get all four. I doubt it just because, like you said, they're going to beat up on each other. It's going to open a path for, like, Buffalo to get in out of the East or another team to sort of sneak in. Um, maybe Houston out of the South? I mean, who knows? Stranger things have happened. It, stranger things have happened. But that concludes our little Sunday little Sunday escapade through the games that were kind of cool some of them were bad but i'd like to ask rochelle to come to the board our wonderful producer the person who is killing it every week tell us what you like tell us what you didn't like and who gets mf double mvp yes starting with the Bengals. um i love the point you made uh jp about them being back as a baltimore ravens fan that's a scary team and i'm worried about the game i know that they beat them already once but i feel like with this division, it's just you just never know. I feel how I feel about the Steelers. Like, even though the Steelers aren't good, you just never know. And those losses hurt. That's how I feel about the Bengals. So it's like a scary opponent going up against. And so, yeah, I think they're back. And that's going to be an interesting matchup to pay attention to. Um, also, Mark, your question, do we trust the Dolphins? I think that that's valid right now based on where they're at. They're still in a good position, but 
something to continue to pay attention to because, like you mentioned, the timing with the offense and they're just not really there. Um, also, I really like your point about uh, Mike McDonald, of course, uh, and just keeping him in mind when it comes to defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators being hired, a big statement when for the Ravens. And thank you for mentioning the Jim Ursay video. I hadn't seen that. And so that was my laugh of the day. Um, I saw on Twitter, I think it was Barstool. They said he felt it in his core. And I think that's the perfect way to describe what I just watched. That yeah. Some of the quote tweets for that video are absolutely <laughs> A lot of which aren't family friendly, but yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, that was good. Um, also, just a few of my takeaways from the week. Big defense perform defensive performances throughout the league. Max Crosby is a dog, like a complete dog. The fact that he had three sacks in this game, the team had eight. Um, one of the best defensive ends in the league right now, and he has nine and a half sacks. So I just got to give it to him. He's dominating, uh, just a very talented player. Also, there's a ton of injuries. Dallas Goddard, somebody to pay attention to for the Eagles, a potential fracture in his forearm. He's supposed to be going under a MRI today, so keep your eyes out for that. Um, but he's probably going to miss a little bit of time, so that sucks for the birds. And also um, Cam Akers, uh, torn uh, Achilles. So it really sucks for Cam Akers. Yeah, that really, really sucks. But phenomenal job by both of you. Shout out to you, JP, again for holding it down. You're just a natural at this point, like yep. crushing it. But I'm going to give it to Mark today. <laughs> That's my speech right there, the JP shirt. Love it. It is the greatest shirt I've ever seen. It's the best 20 bucks I've ever spent, man. I'm gonna wear this. I can't wait to like roll into the combine interview rooms. Oh yeah. It'll be the greatest shirt ever. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need to have a photo. I'm gonna need to take a photo of it. It's gonna be the coolest thing with it, be. right? Like a selfie or something. Yeah, but if you want that shirt, we'll figure something out. Because yeah. I know everybody would want my face on the shirt. That's of course, of course. Yeah, of course. From Rachelle, from Mark, from JP Acosta, and from RJ out there in the specter in the void, we will say thank you for tuning in and see you guys next week.